Ain't no time to visit when the preacher's up. Because it is. Oh, let's give the Lord praise. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, I believe we can do better than that. God is great and greatly to be praised. Uh, he's worthy. He's wonderful. He's a mighty, 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 mighty God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God, praise the Lord. My, my. It's good to be here tonight. Praise God. Lord bless you. You may be seated. It's good to be here with God's wonderful people. And, uh, good to be in an apostolic church. Glad I know this wonderful truth. Glad I've been baptized in Jesus' name, the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. We came on purpose tonight. We knew when you get to Lebanon, Tennessee, they know how to have church around here. So we didn't bring any of the dead ones. Well, I hope we didn't. Thank you, Pastor Johnson, for having this meeting. And uh, we have been looking forward to it. It just, just walking in tonight, just feel something special in the atmosphere. And uh, I, I wouldn't really nervous till I saw all these preachers walking. I thought about just dismissing all the preachers, let them go eat. Just preach to the men. And uh, if you feel like the only reason I'm preaching this meeting, this men's conference, is because I am the son-in-law to the host pastor. You're probably right. But I'm still glad to be here. And I came to have church. Praise God. I've, I've been here in church quite a few times. And um, every service, um, I've learned there's a pattern around here. And that is, this is the men's side. This is the women's side. That's the way it's always been. Came in here tonight, looked over on the women's side. It was all men from my church. A little, it's a little disturbing, I'll have to admit. Oh, Lord. But uh, I, I guess we got permission tonight, tomorrow. I tell you what, I've been to a lot of men's conferences and men's meetings, and I think this has been the best music, the best, I, I mean, praise God, amen, give honor to great pastor, this great church, it's just so good to, uh, to be here, and, and to all of the uh, pastors that are here, uh, some of them I know quite well, and others I don't know as well, uh, but we give honor to, to all of you, uh, Brother Holloway, Brother Billy Uzzle, Brother Paul Uzzle, Brother Steve Mills. Brother Mills called me several months ago. I was in one of the lowest times of my life, and uh, just left a message, but uh, Brother Mills, you'll never know what that phone call meant to me that day time when it seemed like all hell was uh, breaking loose in my life, a brother called and said, I'm praying for you, had a burden for you today, and I knew everything was going to be all right. We need one another, don't we? we need one another. Greet all of the ministers, Brother Thrasher, Brother Gentry, Brother Taylor, Brother Robinson, Brother Henderson, I think. 
Tennessee and Brother Young, my friend. I was just with them in their great church just a few weeks ago. My Lord, I thought they got enough of me just uh, just here a while back and look up and here they come again. My goodness. Amen. But, uh, all of these great men of God, it's just good to be with all of you. I, I went by the, uh, the kitchen and I thought maybe I could get a little bit of inspiration. I asked some of the women over there. Did they have a direction from the Lord for anything that I might need to say or preach? There was no shortage of suggestions. You brothers need a lot of work, I'm telling you. I could, I got swamped. I couldn't get out of there fast enough. There were so many things thrown at me. Yes, you need to tell them to be a little more liberal with the money. Yes, you need to tell them we need to take more vacations. Man, I... I had to get the pastor to rescue me, guys. And uh, good news for you, brothers. I did not feel that was the direction the Lord was leading me. They, they missed it. They missed it. Good news for you. Praise God. Just don't tell them I said Praise God. But uh, thank you, Elder, for allowing us to be here. The book of Ezra, Ezra chapter number 10. Ezra, the 10th chapter. Um, Especially uh, appreciative to all the brothers from our church that came. I think we've got somewhere around 19 men that that uh, that came to be at this first men's conference here in Lebanon, Tennessee. And uh, now, I, if you're taking votes, I know we're just getting started, but I would be interested in doing this again. I'm just not in the position I'm in tonight. <laughs> Man, I'd, I'd be interested in coming back and having another one of these men's conferences. Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, Ezra 10, verse number 1. Now, now um, President William Henry Harrison was elected in, in 1840. He gave his inauguration speech. March the 4th, 1841. His speech contained 8,578 words. It took him nearly two hours to deliver his inauguration speech on that cold March morning in Washington. And the speech had been edited by his friend Daniel Webster for length. And he still nearly went two hours. Because he stood there and gave a long speech without an overcoat or a hat, the president, the newly elected president, caught a cold that day, which turned into pneumonia, and less than a month later, he was dead. The moral of that is, being long-winded can be deadly. It can kill you. So, any of you preachers know what I'm talking about, man. But uh, I'm gonna do my best not to to go long. Especially, uh, I've been told several times already that I am between you and a really, really good meal. So, Ezra chapter ten, verse number one. Now, when Ezra had prayed, and when he had confessed, weeping. And casting himself down before the house of God, there assembled unto him out of Israel a very great congregation of men and women and children, for the people wept very sore. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered and said unto Ezra, we have trespassed against our God and have taken strange wives of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope in Israel concerning this thing. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives. And some of you brothers don't get happy. And such as are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those that 
tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, he's speaking to Ezra here, for this matter belongeth unto thee. We also will be with thee. Be of good courage and do it. Then arose Ezra, made the chief priests, the Levites, and all Israel to swear that they should do according to this word, and they swear. Moving down to verse number 12, verse number 12 of chapter 10 here. Then all the congregation, everybody say all. All the congregation answered and said with a loud voice, As thou hast said, so must we do. As thou hast said, so must we do. I would like to preach to you tonight on this subject. A little strange at first. Hopefully it will make sense to you in a few moments. But I'd like to preach to you tonight on the cardinals of the apostolic church. The cardinals of the apostolic church. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we love you. We thank you we're in the church tonight. Thank you, God, for this wonderful truth. It's been preached to us, Lord. We know it. We've held it. It's dear. It's precious to us, God. Pray that you'd anoint our hearts today. Let us love the truth more than we've ever loved it before. Let us stand for it, God. Let us be willing even to die for it if it's necessary. To hold it dear, God. To take a stand. To be the men. To be the men that the church need us to be. Lord, to be the men that our children need us to be. To be the men, oh God, that... Uh, is demanded of us, Lord. We want to have revival. We want to see the glory. We want to see the favor. We want to see the blessings of God upon our lives. We give you praise, Lord. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Praise God. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. In Jesus' name tonight. The role of the ministry in the 21st century is certainly one of awesome responsibility. A pastor's burden is to present a church to Christ. To present a pure bride that has been made ready for the marriage. Uh, for a pastor, ultimately our task is getting people saved and keeping them saved. It's not just to draw a crowd. It's not just to have warm bodies sitting on the pew. It's not just to garner tithe payers to, for the church coffers. But, but uh, our task is preparing human beings to meet their God. And uh, we have great opposition in reaching those goals. In fact, opposition, it comes from many uh, different sources. First of all, there's the spirits of darkness that they resist the light of the Word that comes by preaching. Resist the light that is carried by the saints. We are, we are facing spirits of darkness. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are facing demonic forces today that have been unleashed against the church. And then, not only is there a spirit world that opposes the work of the church, but there is also the culture and mindset of uh, the world that sets itself up to mock everything that uh, the church stands for, to, to scoff. And, and to hold all spiritual authority in derision. And so there is the mindset of the world, the spirit of the world. And then finally, probably our greatest obstacle, very well may be the fleshliness of humanity. 
I mean, there's some of us, it, 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 we don't even have to have the devil working against us. And you don't even have to have the world putting pressure on the church. Just our flesh that is contrary to the Word of God. And our flesh that is contrary to what uh, the Spirit of God wants to do. That, that provides enough of an obstacle to keep us busy all the time. Man in his very nature is resistant to righteousness. Man in his very nature is resistant to submission. And so a preacher has his work cut out for him. It, it can be a disturbing, it can be quite discouraging, our task today. Uh, just telling you from the preacher's point of view, doing your best. Uh, to teach and doing your best to instruct the saints in the Word of God and just doing your best to encourage people and inspire people to live for God and to be saved and uh, lead in a church and trying to grow people in the Lord and grow disciples and, and, and to deal with problems and deal with obstacles and yet dream big and expect great things from God. It, it's truly uh, a burden and it's truly a daunting uh, uh, tasks that we have as the the ministry and and you can be doing everything that that you know to do and only to have an epidemic of backsliding break out in the church and you wonder where where did things go wrong or to to have young people become extremely rebellious and and then have their carnal parents seem to take up for their actions and and uh, you know uh, to, to to be doing all that you can. I told somebody in the office recently, all I want to do is take people to heaven. I'm not out to ruin your life. I'm not out to make somebody miserable. All I want to do is inspire and encourage and teach people how they can be saved. That's all I want to do. Amen. And uh, doing, doing your best. And, and uh, then, then to, to have people who have been... Uh, let me be transparent tonight. I, uh, to have people that who have been faithful for many years make sudden bad choices and wonder where did that come from and feel so powerless to stop them from wrecking their lives and to have individuals that you've sacrificed for and, and uh, have people that you, you've done your best for and and drawn them close and tried to even mentor them and teach them and saw us a little promise and have them turn on you like rabid dogs and to have fault finders. I'm talking about as a ministry, doing your best. God, what do you want me to preach? God, what do you want for the next service? God, what direction do we need? God, could you give us some guidance? God, could you help me with our young people? God, could you help me get our young couples on fire for you and understand the importance of getting their children in church like they should and, and all of the challenges? And then to have some fault finders begin to accuse you unfairly and question your motives and and to to experience the hurt. I'm talking about the ministry now. To experience the hurt of those that you have given the benefit of the doubt to. Refuse to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm talking about the challenge of ministry in, in, in the 21st century. And I, 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 can, I can feel with Ezra, some, somewhere, Ezra, uh, trying to rebuild Jerusalem and trying to get worship restored and trying to get these exiles that have been for years in Babylon and to get a Babylonian mentality out of them and get a Jerusalem mentality back in them. Amen. To get the Chaldean mindset out of them and the idolatrous mindset out of them and get the temple mindset in them and get the one God mindset in them and get that Israelite mindset in them. Oh, that's all he wanted to do. Amen. Ezra was a teaching priest. Ezra was a scholar of the law. Ezra was a spiritual leader. And all he wanted to do was to get the temple doors back open again. To get the people offering sacrifices on the altar again. To get people back on Mount Zion. And to get worship restored like it ought to be. It's all Ezra wanted to do. A 
That's all that he wanted to do was get the people of God worshiping. Wanted worship in the church. Wanted sacrifice in the church. Amen. Wanted uh, faithfulness back in the church. Wanted purity and holiness back in the church like it needed to be. And, and, uh, and, and he wasn't a, a dictator. He wasn't somebody that wanted to wield power. He wasn't uh, abusing or misusing uh, people. He was not on an ego trip. He just simply had a call on his life to instruct the Jews in the ways of God and see that the Word of God was obeyed by His people. That's all they wanted to do. That's all they wanted to do. He wasn't on a power trip. He wasn't power hungry. He didn't have an oversized ego. He wasn't pushing his weight around. All he wanted to do was take a people that had become exiled, they had become overcome by their own weaknesses and by their own disobedience and get them gathered back around the law and the Word of God and become a great people for God again. It's all he wanted. And yet news came to Ezra. Folks are not living like they need to live. They, they have allowed themselves to enter into covenant with those who are pagan, those who are idolaters, and those who are heathens, and those who God has forbidden Israel from coming into covenant with. Can I tell you tonight that possibly the greatest grief for a man of God to experience is to come to the realization that there's not much real separation between His church and the world. I mean, for it to dawn on Him that the same mentality that the world's got is what the saints have got. Same thing the world's doing is the same thing that the church is doing. And after years of pouring Himself out in ministry and pouring Himself out in prayer and in giving and in self-sacrificing and to be made to understand that what the world thinks is important is what the church thinks is important. That the world's attitude has gotten into the saints and what the world has an affection for is what people of the church have affection for. I'm just sharing with you the challenge of ministry in the 21st century. And I've talked to preachers, I've talked to pastors, talked to men of God, and you forgive me for being a little vulnerable tonight. Wonder how could my ministry be so ineffective? I started out with such the right motives and started out, God, I want you to use me. And I started out with great goals, and I've come to the place and wondered, is my leadership non-existent? How could my years of teaching and how could my years of preaching and trying to be the best example that I could be fall on deaf ears? I'm here to tell you, Apostolic Church, this is not supposed to be. I have felt their frustration as they, as they look at their lives and they take inventory and say, I should be at a time now where, where I uh, ought to be reaping the rewards of my faithfulness. I should be enjoying some fruitful years as a result of all the seeds that I've planted. And is this all I have? For pouring everything I've got back into the work of God. I want to tell you something. Individuals can sit under some of the greatest preaching from week to week and still make stupid decisions. People can be long-time members of a powerful church and be exposed to powerful ministry and still backslide. We often think, well, if people know better, then they'll do better. But that is not always true. Judas knew better, and he still walked away from Jesus. Demas knew better, and he still left Paul for the present world. 
Ananias and Sapphira was in the midst of the greatest revival the early church knew. And they still were deceitful and hypocritical. And why should we think we're any better than Jesus? Or we're any better than Paul? Or we're any better than the early church? It's going to happen in the 21st century too. Their problem was not the fault of the ministry they received. Ananias and Sapphira was not the fault of the ministry that they were under. Amen. Somebody said, well, what's wrong with the church? Why don't you start asking what's right with the church? It's always been backsliders. There's always been hypocrites. There's always been people half-hearted and complacent. Hallelujah. We need to take a look around and get a different perspective. Oh, praise God. Oh, thank you, Lord. I came to preach tonight. I came to preach my heart. There's just something in human nature that when things go wrong, there's always somebody around that decides to blame the church or even more blame the preacher. I, I, I like to ask all these folks about four years ago was blaming George W. Bush for everything. Where is that blame the president spirit nowadays? Oh, that's all I'm saying about that. Praise God. Oh, blame the preacher. Isn't that what Ahab did? Hadn't been no rain for three and a half years. That old troublemaker alive. Oh, there's famine. People starving. That old troublemaker. He's the one troubling Israel because he's standing against my idols and he's talking out against Baal and... And, and he's prayed for God to shut up the blessings off of my life. He's a troublemaker. Preacher said, oh, no, 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 no. It ain't, it, ain't, it ain't my message that's the troublemaking. It ain't what I preach. It ain't my God that's the troublemaking. It's you and your sins and your rebellion that's making the trouble. Amen. Oh. Isn't, isn't that what David's men did at Ziklag? Their families are missing. Their children are gone. Their homes are destroyed. Their city has been burned. And the first, they don't say, come on, let's go win a victory. They don't say, hey, let's get up and find the enemy. Let's go fight for what belongs to us. They want to spend all their energy stoning their leader. I want to tell somebody, now's not the time to throw rocks. Now's not the time to find fault. Now's not the time to criticize. Now's the time to be loyal like you've never been loyal. Now's the time to pray like you never prayed. Now's the time to get on fire. The church needs you. The ministry needs you. Our families need you to stand up and be the men that God called you to be. blame the preacher mentality comes through the church and if you have that tendency I want to give you some fresh material tonight or just so if you're if you're close to one of those complainers I, I want to give you something to, to point a finger at the preacher about I'm going I'm to load your wagon tonight I'm going to give you plenty uh, that you can uh, accuse the preacher of uh, oh, y'all ready? Oh, I'm going to give it to you I want you to look around your church I want you to go on an expedition. I want you to look it over Come in with a with an observing eye. And if there's anybody that gets there early and is praying before service, blame the preacher. Because that don't happen by accident. That 
doesn't come naturally. That's got to be preached into a church. Look around your church. And if there's anybody that gets out in the aisle and shouts, or if there's anybody that runs the aisle, or if there's anybody that leaps for joy, or if there's any liberty or freedom in the worship, blame the preacher. That doesn't happen by happenstance. That doesn't come naturally to human beings. You've got to resist the devil. You've got to resist the spirits of darkness. You've got to resist your laziness. You've got to have a preacher that says, Folks, we're going to have church around here tonight. If you've got worship, if you've got prayer, if you've got holiness, if you've got unity, if you've got a church building, if the lights are still on, blame the preacher. Amen. If the ladies still look apostolic and they're in modest attire, that just just doesn't come naturally. Blame the preacher. If the men still look like men and walk like men and act like men, blame the preacher. Somebody has been preaching the message around there. If there's still annoying in the pulpit and there's still somebody that will get up and say, Preacher, preacher. If Acts 2.38 is still being preached, if Deuteronomy 6 and 4 is still being preached, Oh, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. Blame the preacher. If you got a one God preacher, you ought to thank God. If you got a holiness preacher, you ought to thank God. If you got an Acts 238 preacher, you ought to thank God. You ought to be happy and excited about it tonight. There's churches that are starving. There's churches that are dead. There's churches that are plucked up by the roots. But thank God I got an apostolic pastor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, You can be seated. But as important as the preacher is, brother, you got to have a preacher. You got to have a pastor. You're not going to make it to heaven by yourself. Amen. If you've got some convictions, you ought to blame the preacher. If you've got an understanding of what separation from the world is, you ought to blame the preacher. If you've got a foundation under you uh, and you've got a grasp on this apostolic doctrine, blame the preacher. If your family's in church, uh, your wife wants to go to church, uh, your kids love church, uh, blame the preacher. Uh, Somebody uh, has put the right things in them. finds himself in despair over these transgressions. These are people that live in Jerusalem. These are, these are people that know there's one God. These are people that have been called out, separated. They're Israelites. They know the law. They, they understand how they're supposed to live. They're fully aware of the expectations that God had for them. And when the news comes to Ezra as to how bad it is, as to how many people are really backslidden in heart, as to how many people are are really doing what they want to do, as to how many people have departed from the teaching that they have been given, it upsets Ezra so much that he starts pulling his hair out. I've been upset. I don't know that I've been that upset. I've had some I want to pull their hair out. 
and he sat down all day, dumbstruck, couldn't say anything. When you've got a preacher that can't talk, you've got problems. We make a living talking. When the preacher is so uh, astonished and he is so dumbstruck, he can't say anything all day long. Brother, you've got problems. That's a bad day for a preacher. And it was all because these Jewish men had stepped over the boundaries and they had taken foreign wives. And the Bible said that the holy seed had been uh, mingled and, and now they had produced children by these relationships. And they, they had children that they, they couldn't speak the Jewish language, but they couldn't speak the other language either. They didn't know who they were. They were confused. They were so mixed up. They were not sure what their identity was at all. And when Ezra saw what the problem was, when he saw it, he was so upset that, 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 that problems of this magnitude could be so pervasive in the church. Now I want to emphasize to you tonight that the problem was not that Ezra was letting them by. The problem was not that Ezra condoned their practices. The problem was not that he had failed to teach them the law. They had willfully forsaken and they had willfully transgressed the commandments of God. Okay, so here we are. We got rebellion. Here we are. We got backsliding. Here we are. We've got uh, hypocrites. Here we are. We've got people that are cold and carnal and complacent. What do they need? Do they need uh, a, a great sermon? Do they need better teaching? Do they need a dynamic evangelist to come through and turn the place upside down? Do they need a different pastoral style? Uh, no, 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 no. There's one answer. It's one thing that turned an entire nation around. Ezra had done all the preaching he could do. Ezra had taught him. He was a scholar. He was a learned scribe in the law. This man was, was educated. He was a teacher. He was a leader of men. But the answer was not within Ezra. One answer. I understand that uh, the bird that is called a cardinal, I understand it is named a cardinal because of its distinct color. In fact, it's, it's named that simply because its color matches the color of the scarlet robes of the cardinals of the Catholic Church which is the ruling body of the Catholic Church. And so the cardinals of Rome, that is where the cardinals that fly around in our treetops, that's where they got the name. In fact, if you know anything about sports, St. Louis has a, a team called the Cardinals, and they carry those same colors because it's where the name came from. Uh, the, uh, I think Arizona has a football team, carries those same uh, colors, and it's all because of the distinct color of the robes that the Catholic cardinals wear. The word cardo is a Latin word that means hinge. It means hinge. And the reason that they're called cardinals, we speak of things like cardinal sins. They are the, the base sins that all the other sins uh, turn on. We speak of cardinal virtues because they are the virtues. Things like courage and uh, self-control and uh, faith. That They are cardinal virtues. They are hinge virtues upon which all other good behavior revolves and turns. And so the reason there's a group of men in an institution called the Cardinals is because their name means the hinge men. Everything in that organization 
turns on, revolves on, hinges on the cardinals. Everything in that church, it turns on the hinge men, the cardinals. It turns on the hinges. Big doors can swing on tiny hinges. Tiny hinges can make a big difference. I am looking. Brother Johnson said it tonight. We're preaching to the cream of the crop. We're looking at the leaders. We're looking at the hinge men. I'm looking at the cardinals of the apostolic church. I'm looking at men, I believe, upon whom revival turns. The direction of worship turns. The direction of prayer meetings turn. It revolves on you. You are the hinge men. If you're waiting for your pastor to preach the right kind of sermon, if you're waiting on the pastor to set a higher standard, if you're waiting on an evangelist to come by and get the church to swing in front of the lights, you're waiting on the wrong thing. You're the ones upon whom the church will turn. You want that church to take a turn for revival. You want that church to take a turn for liberty and worship. You want that church to take a turn for holiness. You want that church to take a turn for unity. You're the hinge men. What are you doing to swing that church in the right direction? Shechaniah, I don't know much about him, but he was such a man. He looked, and, and I don't mean to paint pastors as pitiful tonight. I don't mean. You've got some powerful men of God in this place. I, I, I don't mean to, to make them look weak or anything. You understand. But, oh, I'm talking about multiplying the effectiveness of the ministry and the pastoral leadership and the work of of your church. I'm telling you, you don't know what you can do for the work of God where you're at. You're waiting on some magic formula. You're waiting on some kind of abracadabra. You're waiting on some kind of powerful altar call. You're waiting on something spooky and spiritual when you've got everything you need right down in your heart and in your mind. You've got everything. There's a revival in this gathering right here. There's miracles in this gathering right here. There's brand new souls being born in this gathering right here because it all hinges on you and Shechaniah watched the preacher that was pulling his hair out and he looked at all the transgressors and Shechaniah looked at a preacher that sat down and couldn't talk couldn't even think to utter a sentence. Tongue-tied. And he looked at all the rebellion. And the fate of Israel hinged on one little man, little-known man called Shechaniah. And he stood up and he said, Ezra, you're right. There's a bunch of hypocrites around here. Ezra, you're right. There's a bunch of trespassers in Jerusalem. We've done wrong. But Ezra, it's your job to preach. And it's our job to back it up. He said, this matter belongeth to thee. In other words, you preach it, we'll back it. You tell us, we'll do it. You take a stand, we'll be right behind you. If you preach it, that's the way it's going to be in my house. That's the way it's going to be in our church. That's the way it's going to be in our temple. That's the way it's going to be in Jerusalem. All you got to do is stand up, Ezra, and we're right behind you. They didn't wait on what the women were going to say. 
They didn't go find out uh, what their precious little darlings, uh, how they were going to respond. But he stood up and said, Ezra, all you got to do is step in the pulpit one more time and lift up your voice. And whatever we got to get rid of, we'll get rid of it. Whatever we need to sever ties with, we'll sever the ties. Whatever you ask of us, there's no commitment and no consecration that is too great. Hallelujah. And a great revival in Jerusalem swung on the shoulders of one man. One man. The preaching was just like it always been. Ezra had the same convictions he'd always had. He still knew just as much of the Bible as he'd always known. But one man said, Ezra, we're going to do what you said to do. And it went from being a rebellious nation to being a revival nation. It went from being a complacent people to being a consecrated people. It went from being a backslidden people to be in the back in the preacher uh, crowd and congregation. Oh, I feel it. Come on, brothers. Revival is hinging on you. Come on, the future of the church is hinging on you. Come on, brothers. The future of your children is hinging on you. Come on, brothers. Amen. There's altar calls. Amen. There's revival. There's a harvest of souls that's hinging. It's going to turn. It's going to turn. You ought to walk in your church Sunday night. I don't care how dead it is. I don't care who's been gossiping. I don't care what's been simmering underneath the surface. You ought to walk in there and say, I'm a cardinal in the apostolic church. It's going to turn. It's going to turn. It's going to turn. It might be dry tonight, but if nobody else says amen, I'm going to get out of my pew. I'm going to lift my hand. I'm going to shout a little bit. I'm going to say amen, preacher, preacher, when it gets tight, because I am a hinge that the church is going to turn on. Quit waiting on somebody else. Quit waiting on the women to get spiritual. Quit waiting on the young people to get fired up. Quit waiting on somebody else to lead the way. Quit waiting on somebody else to be a leader. Quit waiting on the preacher to get it all just right. Quit waiting on the rest of the men to get dedicated. Quit waiting on somebody else to take a step of faith. Why don't you take it on your shoulders and say there will be worship in my church. There will be unity in my church there will be holiness in my church there will be a move of God in my church going once. Now, now sometimes that's good, you know. Sometimes, you know, you get all flustered. Oh, don't worry about that. Oh, I ain't nothing to go to hell over. Oh, honey, just, just not, it don't matter that she wore a dress like yours. I don't care. It might have been an accident she started wearing her hair just the same kind of hairdo you got when you changed your hairdo. I mean, they need... Did you hear about something? I don't even care about that. Amen. I mean, it comes in good. I mean, when it's time to hold a grudge, men can be easy. 
That ain't worth fighting about. I don't care what they think. Now, that's good. That's good. But don't let that easy going mentality bleed over into the important things. There's some things we don't need to be easy going about. When the devil just says, sit down and coast another service, it ain't time to be easy going. When the devil says, don't fight back uh, over the ground you're losing spiritually, it ain't time to be easy going. Uh, when you wake up and realize, uh, I used to shout and don't shout no more. Uh, I used to run and don't run no more. Uh, I used to pray and don't pray no more. Uh, it ain't time to be easy going. Uh, it's time we understand uh, the kingdom of heaven uh, suffereth violence um, and the violent uh, take it by force. Um, it's time some men stand up uh, and say the women are not going to be the leaders of prayer in my church. The women are not going to be leaders in worship in my church. The women are not going to be at the front carrying the load in my church. I'm a cardinal. I am a hinge man. This thing is going to turn. It's going to turn. You're the hinge that can turn a struggling church into a place where people are receiving the Holy Ghost every service. You're the hinge. This thing needs to change. It's just a door that needs some hinges to turn on. You're looking for an open door? You're the hinge. Praying for an open door. You're the hinge. Uh, during the 1800s, there was a famous organist that traveled from town to town across America giving concerts, and it was the, the old pump organs. So in every town, he would hire a boy to work the pump behind the organ during the concert, and after a performance in one town, uh, the, the little boy that he had hired just followed him everywhere. He just loved being a part of that. And, and while he was walking to the hotel one, one evening, the boy looked up at, it, at him and said, We sure gave a great concert tonight, didn't we? And the performer looked with disdain on the little boy and said, You mean I had... A great concert tonight. You only pumped the organ. Now, get out of here. Go home, boy. So the next night, the organist went to the concert in the same town. And once again, it was the same little boy that was working the bellows behind the scenes. And the opening uh, piece, it was a, 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 a beautiful, beautiful piece by Bach. But as he began to masterfully go through the notes of the second part of the composition, the music suddenly stopped. And it didn't matter how he worked the fingers or what notes he tried to play, there was nothing but a faint clicking sound from the keyboard. And that's when... The little boy stuck his head around the corner and smiled and said, We aren't having a very good concert tonight, are we? Hey, the church could be struggling because you ain't helping it turn. It could be the services are not what they should be because you're not in there Pumping that thing. Come on, preacher. Come on, let's have good church. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on, singers. Let's have good. Instead of waiting on them to hit the right note and to sing the right song and for everything just to fall in place, why don't you get to pumping that thing before service ever starts? You say, somebody might hear me pray. They need to hear you pray. You say, somebody might see me worship. They need to see you worship. Somebody might wonder what I'm doing. They need to wonder for a while. But if you show them how to have apostolic church, somebody will fall in with you. 
Apostolic church is contagious. Anointed is contagious. Praise is contagious. The glory of God is contagious. A move of the Holy Ghost is contagious. Faith is contagious. Excitement is contagious. Courage is contagious. Passion for God is contagious. just about through. Joash goes to see the prophet. Prophet's dying. It's a scary thing. Prophet's passing off the scene. And where, where are we going to get our word from God now? And where are we going to get our miracles now? And who's going to pray for us now? And, and you know, preacher religion can only take you so far. And he goes and falls across the prophet Elisha and says, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. You know what he was saying there? He was saying, You're our spiritual leader. Only leaders went in chariots. Chariots were only for kings, they were only for captains. They were only for generals. They were only for the elite soldiers. They were only for leaders. And he was saying, uh, our leadership of Israel, what are we going to do? The prophet said, I want you to get a bow and some arrows in your hand. And the arrow that you shoot is going to be the arrow of victory. The arrow that you shoot is going to be deliverance from your enemies. The arrow that you shoot... You say, well, I just want to follow the chariot. I just want to go with the chariot. Pastor, you just get in your chariot and ride and we'll clap when you ride. You preach and we'll clap and we just got the most wonderful... Oh, I'm telling you, we just love our preacher and we just love them sermons and we just love it. And oh, and, and if we're not careful, it's just a cheering section. Oh, we couldn't do without the chariot. We couldn't do without those mighty and magnificent horses leading the way into battle. It just strikes fear in the enemy. And the chariot turned around and said, Get a weapon in your hand! The chariot can lead you into battle. The chariot can give you direction. The chariot can give you courage. The chariot can show you where the enemy is. But you better get a weapon in your hand. And it's the arrow that you shoot. It's the arrow that's going to give you deliverance. You know what I'm trying to do tonight? I'm trying to put some arrows in your hands. Oh, we know the pastor needs to preach the truth. We wouldn't have it any other way. Oh, we know the preacher needs to take a stand. We don't want to be in a compromising church. Oh, we know. Hey, man, the pastor needs to teach it and tell it like it is. But what kind of weapon do you have in your hand? What can you be relied upon? What are you available for? Hallelujah. Amen. It's a passion test. It's a passion test. Here's the weapons, Joash. I want to see if your zeal can outlast my funeral. I want to see if your passion can survive the death and burial of Elisha. We're just going to give you a little test. These weapons you've got in your hand that I told you, this, this is the way you're going to get victory. This was victory in his hands, folks. He'd already been told this is victory in your hands. you got victory in your hands. In your hands. 
not the preacher's hands. Victory in your hands. You got victory in your hands tonight. I'm telling somebody, you got revival in your hands. You got soul winning in your hands. You got miracles in your hands. You got powerful church services in your hands. Let's see what you can do with what's in your hands. Oh, I want to polish the gleaming chariot. Oh, I want to see Elisha in his parade. Those mighty steeds galloping down those streets. I, I want to. I want to be impressed with the display of might and power. No, I tell you what you need. You need victory in your hands. It's just a simple test. I'm not going to ask you to quote three chapters. I'm not going to get you to, to give me all the little particulars of the law of Moses. I'm not going to ask you what the commentaries of the rabbi says about the seventh or the eighth commandment. All I want you to do is get the victory that's in your hand and do something with it. All God is asking for you, brother, is to take a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, a Wednesday Bible study, and do something with it. Take a praise and worship service and do something with it. Take a prayer meeting and do something with it. Take a men's conference and do something with it. Take a Friday night message and do something with it. Take the teaching of your pastor and do something with it. Take the church building. Amen. Take the youth group. Take the men's meetings. Take what God has placed in your hands and do something with it. I don't know how to end this tonight. But I came to preach to somebody. You're the hinge. Can you see it turning? I feel with all of my heart that God told me if I'd preach this, He'd turn some situations around. That if I'd get up and preach it, there'd be some... There'd be some things turn in the church. There'd be some things turn in some families. Maybe everything's okay just like it is and you don't need anything. But I believe there are some men in this place. You need something to turn. You came looking for answers. God, I need some things to change in my life. I gave you the answer. Some things you've been worried about. Some things you've been bringing before God. God is saying tonight, you are the hinge. It's going to turn. It's going to turn. I speak it by faith tonight. It's going to turn. It's going to turn. It's going to turn. Not going to go back to being the same old prayerless person I've always been. Something's fixing to turn. I'm not going to go back and have the pastor wonder about where I stand. There's some things going to turn. I'm not going to go back to being a deadhead and just kind of yawning through the service. Something is going to turn. Hallelujah. What are some of you other brothers that like to begin to make your way toward the front? Join these that are already here. wonder if there'd be anybody Reach out for that turn tonight. Reach out for that change tonight. It could start right where you stand tonight. God, I've got some situations with my children. It needs to turn. God, there's some things I'm dealing with. I, I don't know what to do about it. I, I don't know what the answer. I just know it needs to turn job situations, financial situations, things I'm struggling with in my mind, things I'm struggling with in my heart, things I'm struggling with down in my soul, things that nobody else knows about, but it's got to turn, it's got to change, it's got to be different. Hallelujah. Come on, brothers. Come on, brothers. Let's turn this thing around.
Come on, brothers, let's lift our voice. You've got victory in your hand tonight. You've got victory in your hand tonight. Can you feel it? Can you sense it? Can you see it? Amen. God is telling you, you've got victory in you. You've got victory in you. You've waited. You've waited for some outside source. You, you've waited for some outside answer. You, you've waited for somebody else to give you a solution. You've got victory inside of you. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, get those arrows in your hand. Come on, smite the ground. Come on, give it all you got. Give it all you got. Come on, get those arrows in your hand. God, I'm going to do something with this victory. I'm going to do something with this service. I'm going to do something with this message. I'm going to do something with the church you've given me. I'm going to do something with the pastor you've given me. I'm going to do something with the opportunities you've placed in my hands. I'm going to give it everything I've got. Hallelujah. Come on, brother. There's victory in sight for you. Come on, brother. There's victory. There's victory. There's victory in sight for you. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it doesn't matter. you've done. Hallelujah. Because of where he's been, because of what he's done, you can start all over again. This is the hinge men. These are the hinge men. Doesn't matter where these are the cardinals. Doesn't matter what these are the men upon the direction. Upon whom the direction of the church return, but because of who he is and because of where he's been, yes, 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 and because of what he's done, you can start all over again. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what you've done. Softly calling, and because of where he's been, and because of where he's been, and because of what he's done, you can start. You can start all over again. Doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done.